The NBA is back and at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA, the key to victory is a strong starting five. New customers can bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game. And if they do, you win. $200 in free bets. So why not make your roster Washington, 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 and oh yeah, Washington. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game with new same-gay parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code REMATCH. Bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win. With the promo code REMATCH this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA. He looks determined without being ruthless. Something heroic in his man. There's a courage about him. Doesn't look like a killer. Comes across so calm. Acts like he has a dream. Full of passion. You don't trust me, huh? Well, you know why. I do. We're not supposed to trust anyone in our profession anyway. Peace, 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 and welcome to The Rematch, which is part of the BasketballNews.com podcast network. On the rematch, you'll hear in-depth interviews with notable names from all walks of life. Because sometimes the media just doesn't get it right. The rematch is that second opportunity to clarify, put things in proper context, correct fake news or misreported controversy. The media still exists as the most powerful entity on earth because they control the minds of the masses. I'm Atan Thomas. And the full truth is what we are aiming to catch. Many media stories omit details that would dilute their clickbait roar. And that's why there's a need for the rematch. Today, I sat down with 14-year NBA player and former Philadelphia 76ers, Eric Snow. We discussed his special relationship as a teammate with Allen Iverson, and compare that to the current friction between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. We discussed the impact of Doc Rivers not having Ben Simmons back after their loss in the playoffs and where the 76ers can go from here. We also discussed where Eric was a teammate of young LeBron James in Cleveland and how he knew even then that LeBron had a chance to be one of the greatest NBA players of all times. This was a great discussion. Hope you enjoy. Mr. Eric Snow, how you doing, sir? I'm doing good, man. How are you, man? Man, I'm blessed. Blessed. Uh, thank you for coming on the show, The Rematch, uh, basketballnews.com and Fly TV. Um, 14 years in the NBA. Um, and then you went into coaching and you was coaching, assistant coach for the Texas Legends for a long time. Um, me personally, I kind of always knew that you was going to go into coaching. You know, you just had that demeanor about you. Um, but talk about your love for, for coaching. 
Well, man, I think it's just more for my love for helping guys. Um, I just think that, you know, coaching is a way that I can do that. And at the same time, I can, you know, be around the game of basketball. So I think it was more of just being around the game of basketball and at the same time being able to help some young guys accomplish their dreams. Um, so for me, that was, you know, what I enjoyed the most. Okay, that's what's up. That's what's up. So, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot going on right now uh, with your old team, Philly, and um, you know, I, I want to first talk about and, and first set the scene for how special of a place Philly is to play. Um, I did an article with um, Theo Ratliff and Larry Hughes and. George Lynch, and they all talked about how special the Philly fans are. Um, you know, talk about how special of a place it is to play in Philly. I mean, it's a great place. It's a tough town, but it's it's a great place. I mean, like, I would always say um, they will get on you hard, but they're family. They get on you hard, but they won't let anybody else get on you. So, um, right. but the love was there um, from day one. Um, when you go out in the streets and you go anywhere, um, they, they're very passionate um, they die hard, but they were very supportive of me. I mean, people, they get on us, um, but at the same time, you got to respect it because they, they cheer for you and the passion is always there, the enthusiasm, and it's for all the sports, too. You know, we just happen to be, you know, just a portion of the sports in the city, but they're very, very passionate, very knowledgeable um, fans. But y'all had a special team, and you really felt the love um, from Philly. And people talk about how tough Philly Philly is, you know, to play in. But when you're playing well, and you're playing hard. And you're playing with heart the way that your team's played there. I mean, you get a lot of love, right? Well, I think you got, for the most part, you got a lot of love because they notice if you play hard. They know if you compete. Um, if you miss a shot or if you don't do this and that, yeah, they get upset or they do things. But at the end of the day, it's really about are you trying your best and playing hard? And I think they appreciated that the most part from our team. And at the same time, our best player, that's what he was about. Allen Iverson was about playing hard and showing that heart. So it became sort of a staple of our team that they, they knew that they were going to get that part out of us. You know, you mentioned Iverson and he had a lot of respect for you. I mean, y'all had a special relationship and I remember him seeing talk about, um, you know, your defense for one and how much it, the way that you played pushed him to work harder on the defensive end. Um, you know, so talk about gaining that amount of respect for a superstar like Allen Iverson um, and, and how you actually did that. Well, I mean, I think the first thing is, you know, Allen's real, so you got to be real with him and real and honest. And, and when you're around him, you, you'll notice that he just he's just a real guy. He's not, it's no fake and it's no games. And he just noted that we play hard and, but more than anything, showing them that you care about him, him the person, not him the basketball player. And if you show him that care, that love, and that respect, and you go out and you fight for him, he's going to do the same thing for you and, and vice versa. And that's what he did. I mean, he seen we were, you know, I fought for him. He fought for me, and the, the, the mutual respect and the friendship just grew from there. You know, I, I heard AI um, talk about how you used to set him up perfectly on offense. And he was talking about how you would get him the shots and get him the ball, like in the perfect spot. And he was saying that you understood him as a player. And I want to talk about that aspect of it, because how important it is um, for how important it was for you to really understand AI 
uh, both on and off the court. Well, I mean, he's so competitive that he, you know, AI felt like whenever he had the ball in his hands, he was going to score or he could score. But it, it, it was my job to not just for Allen, but for everybody, try to put him in position to, to do what they do best. I mean, Allen, yes, you can give him the ball and he can make things happen, but it helps if, you know, the, his defender's trailing him or if you can kind of give him a little nod that maybe fade or, you know, come off that screen or, hey, next time he's coming, he's running so hard, just stop and then get separation and then use your speed. So if you kind of talk him through those situations, because he just want to play, he just want to compete, he's going to make it happen. But sometimes mm-hmm. if you can give him that little edge, um, you know, that's when at times he just became unstoppable. And and AI described you as, and you're very humble. Um, you're just a humble person. Uh, but AI described you as the the missing piece of the puzzle that completed the team. That's how he described Eric Snow. Yeah. And, you know, he said that you were responsible and he said you in particular were responsible for a lot of the success that they had as a team. Now, those are glowing remarks from somebody. You know what I mean? I know you're humble, but you really were really crucial to that team as far as controlling everything orchestrating everything from the point guard position and really putting everybody in their places. And I'm really, I'm really staying on this because the point guard position is so important. I I think it's the most important position on the floor um, for me personally, but everything falls after the point guard. You know what I mean? I mean, you have the ability to control people's emotions, to bring people up, slow everybody down, know when to go, you know, quickly, know everybody's personality. So, you know, you being that special puzzle, that piece of that puzzle, I mean, you know, that's a lot. You know what I mean? That's a lot saying yeah. to you. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, you know, if you you talk about just a game of basketball and you look at maybe my career and if you watched me or didn't watch me, um, you know, there was a lot of things I didn't do well. Um, but I think the one thing that, and, you know, I think talking to Monty Williams, like later in my career, like, you know, we were retired and he kind of said something to me that I didn't realize how important it was. And, and I think probably the best thing I brought to the table that I had a, an ability to kind of pick up things very quickly. Mm. Um, you know, coach Brown could go over a play or he can go over a, a sequence of what he wanted the team to do. And I was able to grab like all five positions at one time and be able to point everybody where they supposed to go immediately. And during the game, it was kind of something that I thought was kind of normal, but people would always tell me like, yo, that's not normal. Mm. Like what you're doing, like how you're helping people and all of that. Like, that's not like, you know, all the positions instantly. So I think that was probably the best thing that I, that, in my career that I was able to, to do um, because I think it where at times you make up for the lack of talent or lack of shooting or lack of whatever you had, being able to know things and kind of put yourself in position and put your teammates in position to kind of have an edge was kind of something that was, you were able to do. And, and your teammates had full confidence and trust in you, right? Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think, but you, you you earn that. I mean, I think that um, the one thing about trust and respecting your teammates is that you gotta you gotta give what you want back. You know, I was able to to, to show them the respect and show them the love and and help them out. Um, 
that, you know, once you kind of build that trust and you build that respect, they're going to give it back to you. And that's what I was able to do. So I want, I'm, I'm going to now shift to current times with the um, 76ers team. And I, I, I want to kind of compare and contrast the, the chemistry or, or lack yeah. thereof um, happening now with the 76ers. Um, in particular, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And, you know, we could go back to the comments that Joel Embiid made after the, the playoff loss last year, um, where he, in essence, you know, he kind of blamed Ben Simmons for the loss. And, um, you know, we can, we, can, we can play it and we can listen here. What was the moment for you personally tonight where your, be- your belief in what uh, you had in terms of this being the Sixers year turned to the recognition that it just wasn't going to happen? Um, man, uh, I'll be honest. Um, I thought the turning point was, uh, uh, you know, when um, we, um, I don't know how to say it, um, but I thought the turning point was just, you know, we had uh, an open shot and, you know, we missed, uh, we made one free throw and, uh, we missed the other, and then they came down and scored. Uh, At this point, I don't care about that man, honestly. He does whatever he wants. Uh, you know, that's not my job. Uh, you know, that's those guys' jobs. Uh, you know, I'm only focused on trying to make the team better, uh, win some games, uh, you know, play hard every night, uh, try to lead, you know, the guys that we have here. Uh, and I'm sure they feel the same way because, you know, our chemistry has been excellent. Uh, despite, you know, everything that's been happening in the last few months. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, uh, I don't I don't really care. Um, but my question is, you know, you all never really did that from what I remember and what I saw. You all didn't really play the point-the-finger game. Or if you did, you did it behind closed doors. You didn't do it out in the public. Do you think that that really kind of started – a trickle-down effect to their, you know, um, disruption of chemistry as far as the public um, criticism and pointing fingers? Because, I mean, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But I don't remember you all doing that at all uh, to each other, talking about you and AI and the rest of the guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, we didn't do it to each other, but it was some issues. If you remember Coach Brown and AI. <laughs> now, Coach Brown did it. Now, I, I will say I remember <laughs> Coach Brown doing it. No, I don't from remember a, you all doing it to each from other. A player, yeah, from a player standpoint, like you had guys that didn't see the eye to eye. And I haven't been on a team in my life that had guys that didn't see eye to eye. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, like when we left that locker room, we was on that court, we were a team. Um, you, you, I think we had some guys that maybe said some stuff, you know, sources said. I think we had some of that stuff going on, but – at the end of the day, it, it didn't impact us playing. Um, it didn't impact how hard we competed. And I think for the most part, it didn't impact the guys that was really getting the most minutes. Um, you know, you had guys, I'm sure, were disappointed with their shot selection and other things on our team. Um, that, that was there. We had guys that complained about that. Um, but I think Coach Brown did a good job addressing that. And I think as a team, guys would hold other, other teammates accountable. Um so it, it was it was not squeaky clean, but we were able to have a good enough relationship with each other that we was able to 
you know, kind of fix and monitor any things that may, you know, get out of whack. So, but but there is a difference between a player saying that they wanted more playing time and they want to be able to get more shots than a player saying, we lost the game because of him. <laughs> you know what I mean? There, there's, there's a difference between the two, right? Yes, uh, yeah. definitely. I mean, I think that, and I, I personally think when you have that situation, it's not just that situation is the reason why they're saying that. Mm. It's built up from other things that, that has happened for someone to get to the point where they point and blame. So you just a guy have a, you know, end of the game and he, he been playing great and he's an all-star and then he makes some plays where you lose the game and everybody kind of pointed at that. Well, you're not going to just point at him and say, we lost the season because of him. If all he's done all these other things. So it had to be some other built up or some fractures in the relationship leading to that point for guys that kind of feel like they need to say that, especially publicly, in my opinion. Right, right, right. And and you mentioned uh, when Coach Brown said things publicly about AI, that's where a lot of the issues started. That's where there was a lot of friction. And I I mean, I, I, you know, and, and Doc Rivers, and again, we can play exactly what Doc Rivers said. Um, after the finals, after I mean, after the, the playoffs when, when they lost. So we can we can play that. Doc, do you think Ben Simmons can, can still be a point guard for, for a championship team like the one you guys want to become? Yeah, David, I don't know that question or the answer to that right now. Um, you know, so I don't know the answer to that. Um, but I, I, I just think that as a coach, you know, and you're coaching now, I – I coach at the AAU level, um, so I coach coach the young guys. I just don't believe that publicly criticizing your own players is the way to go. You know what I mean? I mean, I behind closed doors, you criticize, tell them whatever. You know what I mean? That's different in the locker room, but publicly, as as you brought up with with Coach Brown when he started publicly criticizing AI, um, there is a parallel to be drawn to when Doc Rivers publicly criticized Ben Simmons. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, Doc said what he said, um, and I don't really know what he said, to be honest with you. I just know that people have made an an issue out of it. Um, But I do feel that Doc said something, and I felt if that was the only issue, what he said, that was something that could be worked out. So I still believe, and I go back to what I said before, then there was something building up to that to make part just like to me that was like okay I'm done I'm done moment and I don't think that if that was the only thing it would just be I'm a a done I'm done moment if that's where you want to be and that's what you're passionate about doing and you're having fun I just don't think that one moment would have been the end so I just think it was still to built up a lot of things that we don't know um, that was going on in that locker room I just think that they had major issues in that locker room whether it be organization player or a player player or a coach player. And so so let's let's go over a little bit of where we are now with it. You know, Ben Simmons came back, um, you know, after he sat out from from um, training camp. He came back. He looked a little bit disinterested um, during the practices, and then he got suspended. And so what is your – outlook on where things are now like where do they go from here i mean they're fractured i mean it's out there obviously fractured i mean he he needs and wants to probably get traded i mean it's just to me it's just not a matter of if it's just a matter of when i i, I don't think the relationship 
can be repaired. I think they can kind of move on and be repaired for him to play. But I think there's it's it's so fractured, and I don't even know why. <laughs> you know, like I, I don't even know like why it's it's like that. But it's not going to be fun playing in Philly. It's not. Um, so, and that's not going to change, and mm-hmm. and not in the near future. So you, wh- what what's going to happen? Can't be fun practice. Obviously, it's not. I mean, is Doc going to start him? Is he not going to start him? How much is he going to play him? So it's going to be issues based. But now it's just issues off the court. Eventually, it's going to be issues on the court. If he plays, if he doesn't play, how he plays, who he plays with, it's just going to be more and more issues. One one of the things that um, all three of them actually in my article, Daryl Ratliff, Larry Hughes, and George Lynch all said was that he has to win over the Philly fans. And they all had their doubts of how that was going to be able to be possible. Now, this was before he was suspended for conduct detrimental to the team and before he came back and showed, you know, that he was disinterested in practice and didn't get in a drill and all of that. Do you think that there's any way possible now that he could win over the Philly fans, or is that kind of a done deal now? It's really just probably done with I think it's I think it's possible, but, you know, he would have to, one, um, have some form of a statement, whatever that may be, um, saying that he wants to be there in some, some form or way. Um, then, two, I think he just compete and play hard. They'll see the passion. They'll see that it's authentic. And then play well. I mean, you know, improve on whatever he feels like or they feel like he needs to improve on and, and play well, and they win. If those four happen, trust me, yes. But It'd be all right? Win, win, and win. I think it'd be fine if those things happen. Um, right. But it's just, it's just going to be tough to get there um, with the state that they're in right now. You know, winning can cure quite a bit. Um, and we, we both have seen situations where winning, you know, problems get exasperated when, when you start racking up losses. Uh, but winning, winning can cure a lot. You know, if, if you, you are the coach, say you are the coach of Philly, right, uh, right now, how would you orchestrate everything? How would you even orchestrate um, Ben Simmons playing, you know, as a starter? So let's say as a starter, um, what, how, how would you – run the offense? Would you make him try to prove that he can shoot from the outside? Would you take advantage of his height being 6'10 and having him back down most guards? What is he complaining against Steph Curry and, you know what I mean, guards that are a lot shorter? Um, You know, would you move him to a different position to have him not even be in a point? What would Eric Snow do as the point guard? I mean, he's he's been an all-star being the point guard. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what he's been. Um... And that's what he's, he was the number one pick being the point guard. So I couldn't change that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you just got to find ways to, and that's where maybe him playing with him could be an issue because he's, you know, and B obviously dominates in the paint. And he probably needs to paint a little more um, because it, it really depends like who, who who's guarding him. Team's going to put point guards on him. He should maybe slash and post a little more and play out of the post or out of the elbow um and, and i always said like i like everything ben is doing i've never i've been one to say i i don't think that he needs to shoot threes i firmly believe that i believe that my belief has always been he just had to make free throws the one thing i know about shooting is 
missing threes will make you drive to the basket. Mm-hmm. Missing free throws will make mm-hmm. you not want the ball. That's and true. so I think that he has to be able to improve on that. And to think that I don't, I don't think he ever needs to be a three-point shooter. That's just my opinion. If he's making free throws, because he was, he can still be efficient. He can still punish teams um, based on posting the little guys, going out and you know taking the big guys on the perimeter and attacking them and playing in transition. And I think he, I think making free throws will make him much more aggressive to score which will make him much more aggressive to make plays for other people, which is awesome to me, the team. Um, but I would have him play the exact same way, but I think that they need to find ways to utilize him in the paint. Maybe, you know, maybe he plays all the minutes when Joel doesn't play and you kind of find ways to slash it into the post and in transition posting play out of the post and let him score that way because eventually teams will have to double. So you got to put him in position where he can draw the crowd and draw a double, play over the crowd, play out of the double, or pass out of it. Right, right. Now, you know, Kendrick Perkins made an interesting point on ESPN the other day. Um, he said that he felt that Doc Rivers set him up. He said that, um, you know, that they wanted to figure out a way to suspend him and, you know, that the organization was holding a little bit of a grudge. This is, you know, what was Kendrick Perkins' point. And he said that, um, you know, he felt that Doc Rivers kind of set him up. Did you really see it that way or do you have a different opinion? I, would, I wouldn't necessarily say Doc him up, really pay attention to it that much as far as what people say. And the actions they do, um, but I can say that it didn't surprise me. You know, what I'm saying that something like that happened. You know, you have a guy that's come back is disinterested in being there, and you get into practice, you get in some sessions, and it, in my opinion, and I'm just thinking out loud that maybe he wasn't starting, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't in the rotation. They kind of brought him along slowly and lately, and eventually you're gonna react like like us all. If we all came back to camp and you had a little disagreement, and they and you and you're a starter, or you're 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 playing twenty minutes, thirty minutes, and they play five ten. All of us would have an issue with that, right. regardless of what's going on. Because um, professional sports has always been different than the other sports. You can miss as much time as you want and have your issues, but sometimes when you come back, it's like you're back. Right. So if you have a guy like him that's never right. been a reserve in his life, <laughs> that that could be an issue. So right. I don't know if Doc kind of set him up because I don't really know the right. details of what happened. I'm sure Kendrick probably has more ins and outs than I do, but I don't I don't really know. I just know I wasn't surprised. Got you. Got you. But you do think it's salvageable. I mean, you know, a lot of people all, all on, um, you know, sports radio, all today, all yesterday, everybody's saying it's over, it's, it's, it's settled, they're not going to work. They trade him eventually. There's no way he played. That's pretty much the conclusion that everybody that I hear is saying. But you're saying that it is possible that this could be salvageable. Like that, you know, that all is not lost. That's what you're saying. If, if those four things happen, <laughs> yeah, I think it can be. But um, I don't think you can go with without one of those four things happening. I think all four of them have to happen. He has to have some form of. Um, commitment. He has to have that effort um, every night, that passion and enthusiasm. Um, has to play well, and they have to win. 
So then I think that all by guns can be forgotten. And the yeah. team has to do their part. But I just don't I don't see all four of them happen happening because I think that um, either the commitment won't come or you know, the passion is going to be hard if you want to leave to come and play hard tonight and then and, and, and the town is really going to be hard on you. Let's be real about it, Etan. They're going to be hard on them. So a commitment has to be made in order for, to get to that point because if the commitment isn't there and they're hard on you, you're going to say, man, I'm done with this. So the commitment got to be there. So let, let's let's do this. I want I want to do this. Um, you as as Eric Snow, as the as the veteran, as the as the the general, you know what I mean, who has been able to deal with you know different situations, different personalities. You played with young LeBron. You played with you know what I mean. You you was able to have these talks with people in the locker room when I'm sure different things came up. I want you to do this. Look into the camera, right? And tell me, as if you're speaking directly to Ben Simmons, how you would advise him to go from this point on. Tell me everything that you would say to him. Just lay it all out and the advice that you would give him well, as the OG. You know what I mean? And telling know, it's, him it's, what it's, it's interesting that you It's interesting that you ask that question because being, as you say, the OG, mm-hmm. my perspective has shifted based on now and when I play. Um. I firmly believe it's hard for Ben to have that perspective and come and make that commitment if Joel don't feel the same way. I think that them collectively would have to make that call. They would have to make that commitment. Um, and I think Doc Rivers and all of them could be on board, but I think it has to come from your top player and your other players. They got to be sort of the voice with Ben. He'd sort of make a commitment, but they got to do it together. I don't think that individually I can give him the advice and be like, hey, this is how you handle it. I think at the end of the day, the four things that I kind of talked about, but being making a commitment and getting better and playing hard is what he has to do. But I still think that it has to be other pieces brought in for this thing to, if it was to get back together and work, it can't just be Ben. It had to be some other people. Um, Joel and Doc and the organization getting getting um, involved too and saying, hey, no matter how y'all feel, no matter what y'all do, we're going to do this collectively and we're going to do it together um, in order for, in my opinion, for it to work. All right. I got you. Okay. Well, that's, uh, well I, I, I hope it does work out. You know what I mean? Ben is a, is a special player and I, it's, it's, it's unfortunate because they were the number one team in the East. During the regular season last year, we we'll forget that. Yeah, they were number one seed last year. <laughs> yes, they were. They were looking good. It was clicking well, I mean, all I think that if you, you look at you look at from the standpoint of you're the number one seed, and it's been 20 years since we went to the finals, and it was what I think 18 years before that that they had went to the finals. So it's sort of like the time, right? You know, it's like not like yo, we should be going to the finals. The Milwaukee Bucks just won the championship. We had the number one seed. Like it can be done. So it's, 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 I think people are kind of getting upset because they kind of feel like this was sort of our time too. And you got two young guys that are leading the team that are, you know, really good and big and special players. So this, you know, like I know, like this doesn't, doesn't happen often. So you got to take advantage of that when you can. Right. Definitely agree. Definitely agree. Well, I appreciate you bringing this down. So what's next for Eric Snow? What can we expect from Eric Snow here in the near future? Man, you know, you know it's, I'm, I'm open, man. I, um, 
I mean, I got boys all over, sons in college and high school and younger boys. So, I mean, I really find myself traveling over the country, you know, watching them and kind of being a part of their life and, and, and kind of enjoying that part. But I'm open, man. If any anything happens to come my way, I'm, you know, coaching or basketball, anything. I, you know, basketball has been so good to me that, um, you know, I'll definitely take any opportunities. But right now, you know, enjoying being a part of the game in any way and, and, and enjoying time with my family. That's great. That's great. So before I let you go, I got to ask you this question, all right? Off topic. Um, got to ask you this question. You had this way of playing mind games with the opponent that was special. And I remember this. You know what I mean? I, I remember watching the playoffs. I believe you are playing against New Jersey. They were Jersey then. And I remember you baiting Mikey Moore. You remember that? And, yeah. and you got Mikey Moore to react. He tried to throw an elbow. He missed, but it got him a flagrant. You know, I, I, I remember you got me one time with that. You know what I mean? You got me, did a little something, and I responded and reacted because I was all emotional the way I would play. And I got, like, a technical, and I looked back at you, and you had this little mischievous smile. But I was like, oh, he got me. You know what I'm saying? I was like, that gummit. I was just mad. So I want to ask you this. I remember watching you do that to Tracy McGrady. And you got him to react, and he got kicked out of the game. Now, just to set the tone for this, McGrady was killing everybody that year. Like, I mean, we had played yeah. him that when he was in Orlando. He had just gave us, like, 70. Or it seemed like it was 70. I remember Coach Eddie Jordan was trying all kind of defensive schemes and strategies, and what none of them working, right? So you, you was able to get under his skin – got him to react, and you got him thrown out the game. Talk about how the art of that, because there is an art to it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, some of it is you just got to know. Like with T-Mac, you know, I was tapping him on the leg, and he didn't like it. Um, you know, he felt it was a dirty play. I don't think it was a dirty play. It was, you know, uncalled for, but it wasn't a dirty play. Um, right. But he was killing everybody. Like, I was trying to do anything I could to slow him down. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't trying to get anybody kicked out, but I was trying to slow him down. I mean, it was really nothing I could do if he just right. you know, just raising up shooting. Um, but I think at the same time, you you try to get under people's skin without being, you know, doing you know anything is illegal. Um, right. You know, if you say something to somebody or tap them, and you know fake and do all the, you know, you know, flop and do all the other stuff. It's no different than people flopping. It's sort of the same thing. Um, right. But, you know, I came in, you know, the league was different. When I came in, I'm a little older than you. When I came in, like, I was four-year college student and two, my third, I think my third year in the NBA, I think I was still the youngest on the team. Oh. Like, you would never have it now. So I, I I came in with the Frank Burkowskis and the Sam Perkins and all those guys and all these guys doing all these tricks on me. So I'm like, man, what are they doing? Like, So I basically was kind of using some of the stuff that I got, got from, the, from the old guys, kind of using tricks and tap a guy or say something, and the guy responds. And the most times, the guys wouldn't even really responding towards, like, I think your situation with me, I think you and I, I kind of remember that it was – <laughs> you weren't even into me. Like it was like you and somebody else. And I just happened right. to maybe think try to get all from you or something. You got me. So I remember what it was. I just, I just remember that mischievous smile yeah. after I got the tech. 
That's what I really remember. So I'm like, you out here having fun. Like, I ain't really trying to, you know, I ain't going to fight nobody. So I'm just I'm here like, trying to have a little fun. If, if you know, you can kind of get somebody there. Um, and then most times you come over and be like, man, I'm, you know, I'm just, you know, just yeah. messing with you, man. Like, yeah. like, it ain't really trying to, like, I ain't never really trying to go there um, playing sports or basketball in any way because, you know, for me, I had a passion for playing and just being around the game. But, yeah, it's it's just because I wasn't that talented guy. I wasn't the guy that can come out and light it up every night. So you got to try to find an edge one way or another. Yeah, I remember Kurt Thomas got me. Uh, he would pull the chair. So we posting up and yes. stuff. Then he would pull me back and pull me chair and I'd fall down. I was all mad and he was just smiling to you. You and Kurt Thomas, y'all were the two people that had all the tricks. I was like, hey, they got me. All right, so one more question. This will be the last question. Tell me about young LeBron. Young LeBron with Cleveland. You know, how was young LeBron? What the, when did he come in already possessing that was so much different than what most young players, you know what I mean, well, come into I the league with? Outside of the talent, um, how much respected knowledge he had for the game and the older people played. So I, w- I would do this thing with players, like younger person I was in Cleveland, and we would go to the each arena. And we would have to. I would be like, okay, name three or four of those retired jerseys up top. Mm. And LeBron could always do it. He could always do it. So I wouldn't even be talking to him most times. And then he would come and say, "Oh, that's such and such," you know, because that's just who he was. So his knowledge of the game in such a longevity, I think, was was pretty good. Like he he had a good feel for the game. But I think. Um, at a young age, and I and I always remember, like my second oldest right now is nineteen, and that's how old he was when my that's first year. Crazy. Was. That's crazy. Um, and, and so you know, I'm thinking, like this joke, my son, like, man, come on, man, like the way you so you so silly, and he was, like, man, you know what I'm so, um, but he at that age was he was a nineteen year old, but he was a mature player. If you know mm-hmm. what I mean, mm-hmm. um, just his game was so mature that you knew like this is special. Like this isn't something that's just going to. This ain't no not even a uh, five year thing. This is like something that probably may never happen again. Type guy, right? right and right. we used to always say like like he got a chance, and and what that meant was like he got a chance to be one of the best, if not the best to ever play. Like we, we were saying that at a young age, like he got a chance, young fella got a chance. And we all knew what that meant because it was like, yo, this, this is different. Right. <laughs> no, this is different. Right. This is special. Um, what you, what you seeing right here. And, and I was there and, and I can remember when um, Michigan state called me, I think maybe his freshman or sophomore year was like, Hey, this is, you know, it's a young guy from your from your area mm-hmm. that he may start recruiting. I'm like, oh, okay, what's his name? And he told me. And then so maybe like a year or two later, I was like, Well, how's it going? Are y'all still recruiting? LeBron James said, Oh no, he 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 won't go to college. <laughs> so he was like a sophomore <laughs> junior telling me that he wouldn't even go to college. Wow. Um, so that's how they kind of seen him. And then he's not only lived up to the hype and, and surpassed it, but you 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 knew it was coming. Like he he's a guy that it's it's interesting for him to be as good and how much he's accomplished 
mm-hmm. I can honestly say I'm not surprised. Like that's that's how good he was then. That you that I could be like, I'm not surprised that he's right. done this. All right. Wow. All right, well, that's what's up. That's what's up. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I hope you do get back into coaching um, because, you know, you your knowledge of the game, uh, the way that other people speak about you, um, the, the respect that players, you know, AI included, but a lot of players speak about you. I remember even when we're in the union um, and going to some of the meetings and stuff like that and the way hearing other people speak about you, people have a lot of respect for you. Um, so me personally, I would like to see you back coaching, um, in some capacity, but much respect to you. I appreciate you coming on and, uh, you know what I mean? Stay safe out there. And thanks again. Thank you for listening to the rematch. You can find more episodes on basketballnews.com, Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. You can also find my articles on basketballnews.com, along with exclusive content from Kenyon Martin, James Posey, and more. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Thomas 36 Let me know what you thought of this episode and who you'd like to see as a guest. I would love your feedback.